Hello and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packwell. Welcome to EWTN Live. We bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we will look at Catholic deacons and their ordained call to evangelize the world and serve the church. Before we get to that, we want to talk briefly with EWTN's Peter Gagnon about some upcoming special events and programs that you don't want to miss. Peter, what have you got for us this time? Well, I want to start with a couple of new programs we have on Chesterton Station. So uh, we aired a couple of episodes, and, and it's a great, um, we have a great actor who portrays G.K. Chesterton, mm -hmm. and, um, and fans of Chesterton really appreciate this program. Uh, these episodes coming up are Chesterton actually interacting with, with historical figures. So George oh. Bernard Shaw is the first one. Of they course. kind of make it a, uh, a Wild West showdown almost uh, between them. <laughs> and so it's a lot of fun um, in, uh, in the program, and people can get a lot of information. And, and just the style of it, uh, you learn Chesterton's wit, you know, throughout it. Throughout this and program, and so. how he and George Bernard Shaw really did interact. They did, in actually. actually that yeah, that's Actually, that's true. So, um, and so that's a lot of fun. And the other one is actually, uh, the, so that episode airs tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to air the one with uh, Robert Louis Stevens. Stevenson. So they discuss, um, you know, obviously writing and um, and everything is called hide and seek, yeah. <laughs> you know, from from the writing. So they'll interact. They have sword play and stuff. Again, it's a, it's a lot of fun. But um, you know, the fans of Chesterton will really like these programs. So yeah. tune in tonight, tomorrow night for those programs. We also this month have um, uh, with Mother's Day coming up this weekend. On Mother's Day, we always try to give a Mother's Day present to the mothers out there with Mother Angelica. So we're going to highlight some of the programs, Mother, um, where she spoke about heaven. You know, so we did, we call it the Heaven Series. So we'll air special um, episodes of her discussing heaven throughout the day on Mother's Day. And, um, and those are really popular programs. And actually, there's even a, a little booklet um, that we put together based on Mother's discussions on heavens and her, her I programs. remember when she did those. You do. There yes, you go. I You've do. been around here a long time, Father. <laughs> so also on Mother's Day, we'll have a special Saving Our Faith episode focused on Mother's Day. So uh, what better gift can you know kids give to their mother than to cook a meal? My children do that for my mom. And, um, and do a special meal. And, and also the significance of you know praying for our mothers, supporting them. And uh, so it's a, that's a very fun episode as well. Good. And then we also have several events coming up. So we have the March for Life from Canada. So, yeah. and uh, we'll have a, a special roundtable that we presented um, where they discuss the issues going on specifically in Canada. But um, obviously these issues are throughout, you know, the world and, yes. you know, it's uh, heightened right now, the interest in this. So, but we bring you live to Ottawa for, for coverage of that. There's a, a mass for life beforehand and then the event from, the, um, from Ottawa itself. And then after the March for Life, we also will be doing, um, we have the, uh, not the canonization, oh, Fatima events. So the, yes. um, we always air the Fatima events in May and October. So live from Fatima, the vigil and the procession the night before, which is a really beautiful event. And then the mass um, from live from Fatima the following day. So look for those events um, and special Fatima programming as well on the 12th and the 13th. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we have coming up on the 15th, our canonizations in Rome with the Holy Father. So uh, particular names are, there's uh, several people being canonized, but Charles de Foucault, 
It's mm -hmm. going to be canonized. Marie Rivier, who started the, the Sisters of the presentation. So um, those events, people can find out the exact times in their different areas by going to EWTN.com. And so that's the best place to find out about all these different programs we have. And this is just a small sampling of a special program we have throughout the month of May. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Thank you very much. And thank all of you. We will be back in just a couple moments with tonight's guest. So please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is a great friend of the network, having done much throughout the network, also a very good friend of mine and a former student of mine. Great to have him here. He's been a deacon for 20 years, and he's a passionate evangelist, uh, preacher speaking at conferences, retreats, and events for people of all ages, also making pilgrimages and a wide variety of other things that he does. He has compiled his years of experience in the diaconate along with insights from a number of other deacons and has written a new book designed to give spiritual and practical support to deacons serving in the church as well as to help priests and laity better understand a deacon's unique vocation. So please welcome the author of the book, Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Deacon, how the heaven are you? I'm doing well, Father. Good to see you. It's great to be back. It's been a while since I've been at the network. I I'm know. Well, that COVID kept everybody back mm -hmm. at home. It's, That's right. It really is great to have you back Thank here. You. And, you know, um, it's also good to see uh, that you're writing still. You might get coming up with more books. Uh, you know, I've told you many times, and I've said it to some of the audiences, I used to save your paper and two other students' papers for last. Uh, they were my dessert because I could put the red pen down, not worry about making corrections, and just enjoy the research you did. So it really is nice to see that you're writing more books. Um, tell us about this one. Because uh, well, I, I, I looked, looked at it, and one of the things you said, you know, what deacons aren't. Well, aren't you just like a priest, except you can't hear confessions and say mass? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, that's what a lot of people think. And, and quite frankly, you played an important part of my story uh, as a deacon, because as you remember, uh, I was your student, and the classes were required for our ordination to the diaconate. Yes. So it was right. your classes that really uh, set my heart on fire for the Word of God, for Scripture. Yeah. Uh, the way you opened the Scriptures to us in a way that I've never heard or experienced before, I just fell in love with the faith all over again. Oh, and cool. so if you read my books, you see a lot of Scripture in my talks. I use a lot of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And now, uh, again, you, again, your inspiration, learning Hebrew and Greek, 
um, you know, which started under you and now is, is continuing. It's just, uh, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for the, for the great gift you've been to me and so many others who have studied under you and now are trying to use our gifts uh, to really help people fall more deeply in love with Jesus and the Catholic faith. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. But um, I wrote the book. I mean, I was home uh, during the pandemic. And I said, yeah. okay, what do I do now? Because I can't <laughs> go out and speak. And so I said, this is a time to write. As you mentioned, uh, this November will be 20 years. I've been ordained a deacon. I've always wanted to write something to contribute um, to the ongoing dialogue and discussion about deacons and diaconal ministry. And I said, what, what better time than to do that than now? Sure. And so I wanted to focus on the kind of the third tier of diaconal ministry. Uh, sometimes it's called um, word, altar, and charity. But I like the Latin better, docendi, sanctificandi, regendi, teaching, sanctifying, and leading. So that third tier, that leading tier, is, is what this book is about, the service ministry of the deacon. So I talk about kind of diaconal spirituality and then how deacons serve their families, wife and children, then how we serve in the church, and then how we serve outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and this has been something of a challenge for you because um, as, I was telling the audience that you'd come late to class, something I didn't tolerate. That's true. Um, but I let you slide because your wife had your first baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, all right, I guess that's a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have the picture of you holding her. Yeah. Holding yeah, Claire when yeah, she was yeah. a baby. Well, yes, she's indeed. So cute. You can't hold her now, though. No. <laughs> she's, she's 24. <laughs> no, no way. She's a young lady. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing, though, that is very important is it's a, a lot of times people will say about Catholic clergy, well, if you just were able to get married, then the problems that you had in the Catholic Church would be gone. I'm not of that mind. I believe that the problems will change. And you deacons who, and you were a young deacon with a young family. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, uh, and a wonderful wife and, you know, you work together so well. But, you know, this is a challenge, is it not, to, oh, some, to be a good husband and a good father. You know, and I can't imagine a priest trying to, to say, so, well, if the priests just get married, that would solve the problems. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Mm -mm. Uh, I talk to tons of Protestant clergy who tell me privately, you know what, that Catholic celibacy thing is a good idea because yeah. they're trying to manage mega churches and all the responsibilities that go with that along with a family and along with trying to support a prayer life. And sometimes the demands are pulling, you know, they have, mm -hmm. do they go to the hospital or do they go to kids' baseball game? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I can't even imagine priests um, uh, trying to balance all of that. So I think the wisdom of the church and the discipline of celibacy frees the priest to be able to serve the church the way Christ did, mm -hmm. with their, their full um, mind, heart, soul, everything. Because mm -hmm. uh, since you are married, you're married to the Christ bride, the church on earth, right. which anticipates Revelation 19.9, you know, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Christ the eternal uh, bridegroom is giving life to his bride, the church forever in heaven. So the priesthood on earth anticipates that. But it is a balance. And, and the way we manage it, uh, Father, is by keeping the proper perspective. Mm -hmm. Relationship with God first, which entails a, a deep prayer life. And I, and I say in my book very clearly, you must be a man of prayer. Not just saying the office just to get it done because you made a vow you know, you made a promise to, to pray the office every day on behalf of the church, but adoration, Marian devotion, 
You have to be rooted in a life of prayer. You have to be a man of prayer. Yep. Because remember, you're a priest in your house as the father of that family. And your job is to, the main job of a priest is to offer sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So your job is to die every day of your life to yourself, to, to your pride, mm -hmm. to live for your family. You know, that comes first. Then your family, then everything else after that. Mm -hmm. And some people say, well, wait a minute, I thought you put your family first. And I said, hold on, my friend. If you're not right with God, you are no good to your family and you are no good to the church. And the other thing I always tell young couples as I get them ready for marriage, if you love your spouse or your children ahead of loving God, you will expect them to be as good as God. And quite frankly, they're not. You know, and neither are you. You know, so don't think that, you, you know, you can put God, uh, your family ahead of God. He has to be first. And then you get perspective on your fellow sinners living in your household. No, exactly right. And, uh, you know, families have a way of keeping you in check as well. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember because uh, uh, I, I watch EWTN usually on my computer. And I remember once uh, uh, I was telling you earlier, I was cleaning the bathrooms and my daughter, Angela, likes the fact that people recognize daddy and that kind of thing. And so she goes, daddy, you're on you're on the TV. And my wife said, oh, yeah, there you are. Go back to scrubbing the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they keep you in check. You keep yeah. the right perspective. Well, but you're right. We work well. We work well together because I listen to her father. And let me, let me say this, let me say this, this is important. Um, I would not be able to function as well as I am in diaconal ministry without the love and support of my wife. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that means listening to her. Because mm -hmm. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit speaks through my wife. Mm -hmm. Women have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit by the very nature of how God created them to be life givers and life bearers. Mm -hmm. You know, like every Sunday we pray, right? Credo spiritus sanctus dominum et vivificantem. Mm -hmm. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. life. And women participate in that, uh, the power of God's life giver love in a way that we can't. Yep. And we'll never understand. So because yeah, of that relationship. For us, it's an observation. We watch yeah. a, a baby, you know, expand inside of what, but for a woman, it's interior. Yes. Yes, and so if I don't listen to her, I'm not talking about the the the, the uh, you know um, the the to do list stuff, right? Yeah. The the, the uh, husband list, but um, to listen to her heart. Yeah. You know, when she says, "Hun, you know, I know they asked you to do this conference, but I need you home." Bam, done. And I don't go, "Oh, you know, let me be Dick Harold this weekend." I mean, I, I listen to her. If she says no, then it's no. Simple, no argument. I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking through her, and if she feels that the balance is getting out of whack, she will let me know. And I will put things back in perspective. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You see, and that's, that's where matrimony really has this benefit, um, you know, because so, it, it's, it's not something that is a detriment. You know, it's, again, in the kind of life that a lot of us priests live, it would be very, very difficult, especially for the poor woman. But, <laughs> bless her heart. I don't think she could put up with it. The, but, you know, this, this kind of balance as a deacon, uh, keeping your family second to God is important. Then third, what, what do you have after the family? Then the service to the church. Because what happens, Father, is that um, someone in the parish, a priest or another parishioner, may go up to a man and say, you ever think about becoming a deacon? Me, me, oh, I, I, 
kind of never thought about it, but okay, man, well, pray about it, pray about it. You know, because what they're recognizing is here is a man who's serving well. Remember, the word deacon, diaconia, means servant. They're recognizing that here's a man who's serving well in his family, and he's sharing those gifts with the church, maybe as a lector, doing <coughs> a, teaching an RCIA class, or, or, or working at St. Vincent de Paul. And somebody, maybe this guy is being called by the Holy Spirit to share his gifts with the entire church. Mm-hmm. And that's something that needs to be discerned, but that priority still has to be there. Uh, God, family, and then everything else. So even now, being ordained 20 years and traveling and doing what I do, God has to come first. And I'm grateful for the time I spent with the Benedictines, discerning a vocation, and, and time with you, and time with so many other people that have influenced me because I'm rooted and grounded in a life of prayer. Um, rosary, uh, adoration, which mm-hmm. I love adoration. I love the silence. I love being in a space where I can hear God speaking to me into my heart and to learn how to listen to God's voice. And you, you for me, was like um, uh, Samuel uh, with Eli, right? Mm-hmm. The Lord was calling him, and he thought, Samuel thought Eli was calling him. Mm-hmm. But what Eli did, he taught him, Samuel, how to listen to God, how to recognize God's voice, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that is critically important. We have to listen to God's voice and allow that voice to change our lives and to influence how we serve our families and the church. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very key. And uh, one, one of the other points that you make in, in this is how do deacons serve? There, sometimes there's a bit of tension about that. Is yeah. it, you know, uh, primarily along the lines of some of the social service needs? Is it primarily in the liturgy? What, how do you get the balance? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So some of the tension lies in the fact that uh, people really still don't understand the diaconate or they see it as a functional thing. So you have some priests that say, uh, well, we really don't really need you because we have lay people that are doing stuff already. Or lay people who are threatened by deacons because they think mm-hmm. they're going to take away their jobs or take away their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's not it at all. Um, we're there to support, primarily support the bishop with his ministry of evangelization. And so the way I describe the diaconate, Father, is uh, the, the bishop is in charge of everything. He has two main jobs. His job is to facilitate communion and to evangelize. So on the right hand, he has the priest to help him with his ministry of facilitating communion, bringing people together around the sacramental life of the church, most especially the, the holy sacrifice of the mass and the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then he has deacons to help with his ministry of evangelization. Because yeah, it's a deacon that kicks you out at the end of mass, right? Ite misa es, go she is sent. Go do what? Go and be Eucharist to the world. And don't worry, I'm going to be in the trenches with you Monday to Saturday. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes people get threatened by that. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't have to be. Um, you know, uh, in my parish, you know, the person who was doing the RCIA was still in charge of RCIA, but Father made sure that I was uh, checking out the texts and things that they were using to make sure they were faithful to the church and that kind of thing. Um, we still had extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion take communion to the sick, but I was making sure that, that they're being reverent you know, and, and not taking the pics and going grocery store shopping with all that kind of stuff to make sure that the reverence for the Eucharist yeah. was still being maintained. So, so we found balance and perspective in uh, serving in the church and, of course, outside the parish as well. 
Yeah, and you know, and, and I, uh, it's the, that kind of, you know, training of people that when you're bringing the body of Christ to the sick who are shut in, and and there's there are a lot of people that, uh, and sometimes so many that the priest just can't get to everybody, but uh, and neither can the deacons at times, but to also recognize that your vehicle as you go on your way there. You're, you're carrying our Lord, and Amen. it's like a little chapel. You know, you, you need to show reverence. It's not time to start listening to the top hits on the country oldies station or something. You know, you know no, no. This is a focus on Christ present with you, and you're bringing Jesus. You need to be prepared for that. So that training for that kind of service is a great job for you know the deacons to make sure that. This is being done correctly. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes, you know, people lose perspective. They, they think of deacons as social workers, right? So the emphasis is on working with the poor and those kinds of things. But, you know, there's also working with the poor in spirit. You mm -hmm. know, so for example, people ask me, what's the most, you know, exciting part about being a deacon? What do you love the most? And they think I'm going to say traveling around the world. You know, I've been to 22 countries preaching the gospel. They think I'm going to say be on EWTN. To get the, no. It's those, the great gift of how we get to be in people's lives. It's when mm -hmm. the woman comes to church on Saturday night vigil mass, who never goes to that mass, and tells you that her husband is dying. And you go across the street and you pray with her and, and you stay with them. And, and you're there when her husband takes her la his last breath. Yeah. And you're yeah. representing the church for them in that moment. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And that's awesome. That's what the diaconate is about. That, to me, you know, th that kind of experience but also in baptizing their children and so many of the other things. That is where a deeper intimacy with people goes on. That it's an intimacy of being at those very privileged moments like death, you know, and you know, to, to serve them. Uh, that is true. And, and there's a connection there with the liturgical life of the deacon. So I mentioned in my homily this morning about taking a drop of water, dropping it into the chalice, which of course still has wine at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So if you read um, part of Justin, St. Justin Martyr's letter to Antonius Pius, I think it's uh, paragraph uh, uh, 1354 in the Catechism, he talks about water mixed with wine. That was in 155 AD, and we're still doing it now. Yeah. And it's the deacon that does it, because the deacon represents the people at the altar and that drop of water represents the prayers, the hopes of the people. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, the relationship is, is once you drop that water, you can't take it out again. And that's the point. Because when that's consecrated, it becomes the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of our hopes are, are, are mixed in with that. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so um, the deacon does that representing the people. And the prayer that we say, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ. Uh, um, uh, 2 Peter 1.4 yeah. Philippians 2.11 and so it, it, there's a beautiful and then we take that, that symbolism at the altar and we take it out with us in the, when we go outside the church to serve the church in that way oh, yeah. it's just, it's awesome it's, it's, a, it's a great and beautiful gift and I hope people appreciate what I attempted to do in this book is to really help people have a deeper understanding of the beauty of diaconal life and I, I think this kind of book is also good for us priests to read, 
so that we understand the distinctive role of the diaconate. You know, in the Maronite rite, deacons oftentimes have more of a role, and they, they've been consistently, you know, present in the liturgy. For Roman rite, it's been a revival, but it was consistently with the uh, Eastern rites. And they, they have a very integral role, and we love having them. But sometimes, you know, priests say, oh, it's just a, a sort of like, uh, altar servers or something. It's important for priests to appreciate this part of the ordained ministry. This is, uh, you know, just like we have a derived priesthood from the bishop, you also share in that same kind of ministerial role. Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, priests often forget they're still deacons. <laughs> when you're ordained a priest, you get the priesthood added to your diaconate. But for many priests, it's, it's a transition. Okay, I was deacon for six months, now I'm a priest, and that's the goal. And, and they don't really think about the diaconate very much, and so when they, they come into a parish with deacons, they often don't know what to do. So that's why I provide in the book some practical things that priests can do to better understand their deacons, to, to help discern their gifts, and how as the shepherd, the priest is the shepherd in that parish, how he can utilize the deacons by understanding the gifts that they bring to, to best serve the needs of the people in that, in that parish community. Yeah, uh, and you know, one of the ways I envision this is that the priests and deacons of a parish might consider prayerfully reading this at the same time, and then, as you were discussing about your wife, you know, share what's on your heart about uh, what a deacon might think this is what I you know feel the Lord is leading me to and the priest seeing how do I cooperate with that and how does the deacon cooperate with me that kind of sh level of sharing between deacons and priests would be a very useful item yeah and to facilitate that father at the end of every chapter of the book I have some um, some reflection <coughs> questions there mm -hmm. and I also have kind of a spiritual exercise that can be done, and with a prayer at the end of every chapter, which I composed. So, and I wrote those prayers in adoration because I wanted to prayerfully yeah. think about the chapter, what I'm trying to say there, um, and then um, use that as a springboard to help deacons and lay people and priests uh, deepen their understanding of, of uh, the, sure. the diaconal ministry. Yeah, because this uh, should never be uh, a competition between the priest and the deacon but rather seeing these two aspects of service that we do together. And, you know, we, we've got two really fine deacons at our parish, St. Elias, and, you know, it's um, great to work with them. And this goes back and forth. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, it, it, there's a beautiful collaboration there. You know, um, yeah. uh, between priests and deacons. Uh, even in, in the early church, there was the fermentum, right, where the deacon took the Eucharist from the mass that he celebrated with the bishop, and he would take that Eucharist to the next. Well, they didn't call them diocese back there, but the next area where the next bishop was, mm -hmm. and that Eucharist would become part of the mass that was celebrated by the other bishop mm -hmm. to, to to facilitate that communion. It was the deacon was the one who who made that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, so. So deacons have always played an important role in the church, and I think um, now is a wonderful time, a perfect time to appreciate 
um, at, a, at a deeper level, the, the gift of, diac of the diaconate and diaconal spirituality. So, for example, if you're working to say visit the Paul, there's a lay person and a deacon, and they're both functionally doing the same thing. What difference does the deacon make? <laughs> because they, they think it's function. That's a good question. What yeah, is so, the difference? Yeah, so they, they think it's a function. Well, we're both doing the same thing. But why is the deacon there? He's a permanent sacramental sign and witness, an ordained permanent sacramental sign and witness of Christ's service ministry to the church. So he's there by virtue of his ordination to extend the service ministry of Christ into the parish community and to the, into the wider community. Um, outside the parish, not even within the diocese, to, but to any place uh, in the world. So that's why I have several of my friends who are doing um, amazing work even outside of the United States. You know, so they're bringing that message of Christ uh, and the beauty of the, of the diaconal ministry to many parts of the world. And, you know, one of the other things, too, that's worth noting, there are a number of deacon saints. Now, I used to, the former uh, president of the network was de a deacon. Yes. Uh, Bill Steltermeyer. I remember him well, yes. Yeah. And I used to point out to him, you know, there's one deacon who's a saint because of his poetry and hymns, uh, St. Ephraim. Ephraim, yep. And then there are a number of deacons who are saints because they were martyred. Mm -hmm. you be, I told Bill, you better hope for the latter because I've heard you sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the most poignant moments for me at ordination was a litany of the saints. So there I am face down on the marble, and, you know, you hear all the saints, and then they get to the deacon saints, Vincent, Ephraim, Lawrence, Francis of Assisi, right. Stephen. And I started crying. I literally started crying. Right. So I'm thinking, laying there thinking, who am I? I'm a schmo from Jersey. <laughs> and I'm following the footsteps of guys like this. Yeah. It, just, it just hit me in that moment. In fact, on the video... I was the first one to be ordained, so I'm standing up, and I can't see because there's t tears in my eyes. I have to wipe my eyes so I can make my way to the bishop mm -hmm. to, to lay his hands on me. It was just, uh, it was a powerful, and, and, and even to this day, I celebrate uh, the deacon saints as feasts uh, in the brief. Of course, Stephen's already because he's in the octave of sure, Christmas. Sure. But the rest, I, I treat them as, as feasts to honor them and, and, our, and our beautiful bond yeah. uh, as deacon brothers. Yeah. Well, look, we have to take a little break um, but we're going to come back and let people ask you some questions about the diaconal ministry. And if you want to find out more about what Deacon Harold is doing, you can simply go to deaconherald.com, deaconherald.com. So stay with us. We'll be right back with you and your questions. Right. Again, we're discussing the book, Our Life of Service, the Catholic Handbook 
for deacons by Deacon Harold Brooks Sivers. Of course, this is available at EWTNRC.com where it is item number 4680, 4680. And Deacon, are you ready for some questions? Yes, I am, Father. Let's start off with one. Um, uh, Peter? Hello, Father Mitch. I just want to tell you how much I enjoy your program. You oh, thanks. Mother Angelica's program. I never missed an episode of either one of them. Oh, thank you. Where are you from? I'm in New Jersey, and I'm a uh, Protestant, uh, Baptist Reformed, but I enjoy both of you so much. I sure do appreciate your knowledge of the scriptures, Father Mitch. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, that's a... I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you for calling in. And your question is what? Yes, sir. I wanted to ask the deacon, does it serve as a special advantage, I guess, of being out there in the working world of everybody? Uh, there would be a great deal more evangelicalizing uh, than, let's say, a Catholic priest who is obligated to a lot of church duties and everything. So I would think a deacon out there is a very good thing. Yes, thank you. Great. So... Thank you very much, Peter. Um, you know, so here you have, you know, being out, you know, a lot of folks are in, you know, doing other jobs, insurance, running grocery stores, whatever they're doing. Um, how does that play? Yeah, let, let, me, let me, I think the best way to answer that question is to give an example. Uh, when I first moved to Oregon, I worked as the security right. manager in charge of police services stuff for the Salem-Kaiser School District in Oregon. And after the Columbine and all of that, I was giving special training to the schools on emergency management and safety and active shooter and that kind of thing. And so after one of those presentations, I went to the 1210 Mass at the local parish. Mm -hmm. And I was coming out of Mass and a woman stopped. She goes, I knew there was something about you. And I said, excuse me? And, and she goes, I'm a, I'm a teacher at one of the schools you gave a presentation. And even though you didn't mention it, I could just tell the way you presented that you cared about us, not just about the building and the, the district's assets, but you cared about us, the people in that band. And I said, there's something about this guy. Now I see you come out of mass. Now I understand. See, so mm -hmm. what, you, what you do is when you, you receive Jesus Christ, the word and sacrament, our job is to go forth and be Eucharist to the world. That means that when we, we have opportunities to share the beauty of our faith, we, we recognize those opportunities and, and we make ourselves available um, as Christ in that opportunity. So another quick example, um, I was walking a young lady to her car from my office there and uh, she had been baptized Catholic with no other uh, exposure to Catholic faith at all. No first communion, no first Eucharist, no mass, nothing. She's a rosary hanger from my rearview mirror. She, she said, is that a rosary? I said, yes. She goes, is that the thing with all the Hail Marys on it? I said, yeah, you want to see how it works? <laughs> so I, I grabbed it and showed it to her. And she said, why do you do that? Now, see, now I could have answered that. Well, let me tell you about the Battle of Lepanto. Or let me tell you about how uh, St. Dominic received the rosary from the Blessed Mother. But she asked a personal question. Why do you do that? Mm -hmm. So I saw it as an opportunity to evangelize. So I said, all we're doing is reflecting on the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the heart of his Blessed Mother. So I said, for example, the uh, joyful mysteries, Annunciation. You know, the angel comes to the Blessed Mother, lets you know she was going to be the mother of God. And am I that open in my life to when God wants to use me as his instrument? Am I that willing and open as that 
as the blessed mother was to say yes mm -hmm. to God's will in my life. Mm -hmm. then, I, then we went through the mysteries and to about 40 minutes or so, and I never brought it up again. 11 years later, she sent me uh, a, a Facebook message saying that she was grateful to me because, you know, I was a, a big stepping stone of her coming back to the church. I had no idea she'd come back to the church. Yeah. And, and she's in, in love and, and, and on fire for the faith. So that's part of what we're called to, everyone's called to do, but yeah. particularly as ordained ministers, we are called to be that evangelizing witness of Christ in the world. Yeah, I would think that as a deacon, you highlight that uh, because uh, when you're in these other jobs, you can get into places I can't go. You know, insurance doesn't let us there and regulations and all. Um, they, they don't let priests go in and, and just do things um, in, in any business. And you are there. And in one sense, that's true for all of the laity. But as an ordained deacon, you sort of highlight, hey, folks, come on, let's go. You're like the platoon leader. That's right. Going in there and saying, hey, let's let's watch for the opportunities to evangelize. That's that's a key thing. Yeah. And the beautiful part of that is I get uh, comments from lay people all the time saying, OK, my employer says I should wear this rainbow flag thing on my shirt. I don't want to do that. What should I do? And they ask me because I'm in the workplace. <laughs> so they yeah. want to know what, how do we witness to our faith and, you know, what sacrifice should I make? Same thing for nurses. You know, um, you know uh, they, they want to start doing, you know, uh, contraception or abortion here. And I don't want to participate in that. What should I do? You know, and, and those are extremely important questions, which is why intellectual formation is another important component of diaconal training. Yep. Um, so that you want to be able to give people the beauty and truth of the faith, not your opinion. You want to, here's what the church teaches and why, and here's why it's beautiful. Now you go back and you work it out with the Holy Spirit and discern, you know, what you should do in that situation. And most dioceses also require the deacons' wives, deacon candidates' wives, to be in class with them so that they're learning together. And that you, to build up that preparation, but building up your marriage at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. We have a, someone in our studio. As you can see, we're back to having studio audiences. So I have a question. Sir, where are you from? Fargo, North Dakota, Father. Uh, I, I remember Cindy's restaurant with the absolute most wonderful pie. Uh, great, great uh, crust on the it's, pie. It's all about the crust, Father. That's it. So what can we, what's your question tonight? Yeah, my question for Deacon Harold here is, uh, he came to our, our parish at St. San Joachim Church there in Fargo and uh, came for a retreat for the Lenten time frame. And I'm a military person, so I was not able to attend. So I thank you for bringing him here so I could drive the thousand plus miles so I could finally <laughs> get a chance to spend some time with him. But our church is a very, very beautiful church. It was just built about 2009 or so as far as it being actually dedicated as a church that we could have mass at. Mm -hmm. And I think beauty and how we evangelize with beauty would obviously be an important part of a deacon's ministry too. So I'm sure. curious for Deacon Harold, if I had a chance to have talked to him when he came up, what is the most beautiful thing that he thought about either North Dakota or about our beautiful church there, St. San Joachim in Fargo? And of course, beauty about his ministry being a, a deacon as well. All right. So what's he got there for yeah, beauty great in North question. Dakota? You know, and I think this, that's an important point that's been highlighted specifically um, in our contemporary culture today by Bishop Barron. 
He, yes. he leads with beauty. You know, the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty. And he leads with beauty. And so, um, and what I loved about that church was the beauty. Because when you walk into a space, you want to feel God's presence. In fact, that was a huge thing for my mom, you know, coming into the Catholic faith. You know, she, she had never been to it. She was Methodist, went to a Catholic school, and was invited by a classmate to go to church. And she walked in, and the first thing that captured her heart was the beauty. And she looked around and she goes, wow, I know God is here. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of experience you want when somebody walks into a church. Right. And then my mom said, when they started speaking another language, it was Latin back then. She goes, then I knew that God was there because they were speaking another language. You know, so my mom, her simple faith. But what I loved about churches like St. Joachim and is the beauty of the church, which also points to the beauty of the worship, mm -hmm. which also points to the beauty of the community. Um, and it, it, I've been many, many places um, to many parishes, and it's always wonderful to go into a church like St. Joachim and Anne and just experience the, the utter beauty. Um, and, re and when you're serving at the altar, you really feel the presence of God in a very powerful way. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Okay. We have another caller. Hello, Annette. Oh, yes. Hi, Father Mintz. How are you? I'm well. Where are you calling from? From South San Francisco, California. <laughs> all right, all right, great. Yeah, thank you for calling in. And oh, what's your question it. or comment? Oh, okay. Well, first I want to just fill um, Deacon um, Harold. I loved his um, homily this morning at Mass. I mean, he was very um, inspiring. Um, thank but the you. question I had for him, I just discovered the consecration to Saint Joseph, and I was just wondering if that had been any of his spiritual. Um, um, brings or anything, he come across it because he reminds me of the images that I read about St. Joseph. I mean, it's just beautiful um, person that he was and how little we know about him and now it's a new time for evangelization on him. So just wanted his, his uh, input on that. Thank you. Right, so, so the, uh, and, you know, this is something that uh, is being developed. A very fine book has come out on making a consecration to St. Joseph. What's your own sense of this? Yeah, so growing up, um, honestly, did not have a strong devotion to St. Joseph. Part of it because Joseph wasn't emphasized back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up as a kid mm -hmm. in school. It was Mary that was the, 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 mm -hmm. the primary interest. And then, and honestly, probably because of the situation with my dad, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and so what's happened, though. Well, in, when I, in what way? Uh, you know, he, he left our family and, mm -hmm. um, you know, he got divorced and uh, it's difficult and painful um, mm -hmm. to go through something like that. Absolutely. And, um, and then I thought I was going to be a monk and a priest anyway, you know, mm -hmm. so I never really thought about marriage and, and being a father, you know, in, in the natural way. Um, and then when I left monastic life and, and met my wife, you know, and started dating and all that stuff, then I started thinking more about it. And it was, and in fact, I'm... I almost didn't get married because I was scared. I didn't want to end up like my parents. Yeah. Um, but, but what happened was St. Joseph. And that's when I really started to try to appreciate St. Joseph. Because, I mean, the man has no lines in Scripture, you know, but he did everything faithfully he was asked by God. And I said, well, why do you even need him? I mean, God could have <laughs> took care of Mary by himself. Why did he need Joseph? He's, he's not really a, that prominent a figure. Mm -hmm. But when you begin to appreciate the behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, t teaching Jesus his prayers, you know, um, 
uh, help, Jesus helping him in the, in, in, in the, with his carpentry, you know, with, with the work that he did. Um, you know, it, it's just, and I, and I began to see, you know, I need to start living my, my fatherhood in that beautiful silence of St. Joseph, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, uh, and so I started getting a deeper appreciation of Joseph over the years. And just like everybody else, I think books of, like Father Cowley's book on consecration, was consecration of Jesus, of course, through St. Joseph. Because any Protestant brothers and sisters watching, I want them to think that we're actually consecrating ourselves directly. To, I mean, it's always to Jesus through, <laughs> through the saints. But, right. um, but Saint jo- that, that's probably one of the best books I've ever read about St. Joseph. Because there's, there's prayers and information that was never in English before. Right. Because I, I did meet a Josephologist once. And uh, I've never, I, he took me into his office. I've never seen that many books on Joseph, but 90% of them were not in English. Yeah. So Father Cowley gave a great gift to the church by, by trans, having a lot of those documents translated into English for the first time. And I think, you know, that this dedication of St. Joseph is all the more poignant. You know, you experienced a divorce in mm-hmm. your family. I mm-hmm. did too. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, uh, well, divorce was 50% of marriages back in the 60s and 70s. Now it's at a point where over 50% of children are born to parents that are not married. And I think that this is going to call for a spiritual transformation. And men need to understand their very important role in the way God sets up family. And this is going to be very key for us to understand someone like St. Joseph and other husband saints. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, especially now that we're confused even about gender. I mean, you get questions like, why is it important to have a man there? Yeah. Because, well, women can do anything that he does. So there's, there's even confusion about the roles of mothers and fathers. Why is it important to have a father in the home? Why is it important to have yeah. a mother in a home? And, and, and so those uh, very clear lines are being blurred right now. And so I think we need to have a clear vision and understanding um, of that. And I think uh, your, the understanding of fatherhood through St. Joseph and diaconal ministry, I think, can help, especially those of us who are, who are married. Because some of you know, our deacon brothers, are, are, uh, their wives have died and, and, and they're serving, um, you know, living the rest of their life celibate. So. Yeah. No, that's a very important thing. And just if anybody needs a clue about the reality of it, um, take a look at an article from back in, way back in 93. It's in Atlantic Monthly, and it's called, it's online. It's called Dan Quayle Was Right, talking about the role of fathers in starting families. And it just lays out the data. So... We have another caller. Hello, Joan. Hi, Father Pacqua. How are you? And Fine. Where are you calling from? New York. New yeah. York. Okay. Joan, it's good to hear from you again. What yeah, can we do here. for you today? Um, Deacon, I was just wondering what inspired you to become a deacon. And number two, um, what advice would you give men on the diaconate if they're thinking along that line? Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Thank you. Well, I've always... Uh, had a, a, a felt a pull, a tug, an attraction um, ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I thought initially that was going to be the priesthood mm-hmm. and then monastic life. Um, and even after I left and got married, I still felt something. So I did what 
men would do in my situation. I dove into parish life. I was on parish council, and I was serving mass, and I was doing lecturing, and St. Vincent de Paul, and all these things in the parish, and it wasn't enough. You know, I still felt, this is great, but there's still something there. Now, mm -hmm. I wasn't familiar with permanent deacons. The only deacons I knew were guys going to be ordained priests. Mm -hmm. So um, when Father Nicholas, the pastor at the time, talked to me about it, I said, what are you talking about? I can't be a deacon. I'm married. And then he brought out um, Second Vatican Council documents, which are in the sacristy, Lumen Gentium, I think it's paragraph 29. He said, read this. At the lowest end of the hierarchy is the deacon. And I read that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I, and I knew it, that that's what mm -hmm. God was calling me to do. And um, as the advice I would give to men that may be thinking about discerning a call to the diaconate, first thing, talk with your wife. <laughs> have that conversation. Yes. Uh, very open and honest about what, and discern together what God might be calling, because it's definitely going to impact her. And then sit down and talk with your, your priest. Mm -hmm. You know, just have an honest conversation. I think God might be calling this, and listen to what the, the priest says as well, because there may be some things that you need to work on first sure. before you start the application process. Absolutely. Sounds good. We have another caller. Hello, Paul. Can you hear Paul? me? Yeah, here you're fine. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from upstate New York in the Rochester Diocese. Great. And, and what can we do for you this fine evening? Well, I want to make a comment to Deacon Stivers. I want to thank him so much on what his commentary on the role of a de deacon was tonight. That was so helpful because so many people ask me, and I do kind of know it, but I could never get it across as well as he just did. It was wonderful. And, so I wanna, and I want to also thank him for the great presentation he gave to the men's conference in Syracuse several years ago in the spring. Wonderful. I hope we can get him back soon. And, thank you. And yeah, I, I remember that. I spoke too. with Justin Father Pacwa, if your ears could ring every time I mention your name, your ears would be ringing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some people do call me a ding-dong, but that's another problem. <laughs> no, not that way. I'm always <laughs> because Scripture, people are always talking about Scripture, and I said, well, Father Pacwa says, Father Pacwa says. They certainly know who Father Pacwa is from, from me. But I'm so grateful because you have have such an immense knowledge, and I'm so grateful you share it with us. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's been... Bible. I use that all the time, but I'm so glad that you're there giving more commentary. I need... Good, good. I'm glad it's helpful. It's always, I like to say that this has been one of the advantages of having gone to the 27th grade. <laughs> 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 See, so I'm not the only one, and your students have benefited from, That's right. from your, your tremendous knowledge and love of well, the Scripture. It's, it's a great thing to be able to, and, you know, it's, look at what you're starting with, the Bible. I mean, this yeah. is yeah. such a great source. Just want to let's make sure people know that this book uh, is well worth reading, not only if you're a priest or a deacon, but for the lay people also to understand more what this role, even if you're not thinking of becoming a deacon, this is a useful book to reflect on this very important role in the church. So the book is called Our Life of Service, the Catholic Handbook for Deacons by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. It is available at EWTNRC.com and when you go there, it's item number 4682.
zero. Also, you know, I guess you can find out more about where you're traveling and things like that if you go to deaconherald.com, you know, the schedule of events. Because you're, like everybody else, you know, now that COVID is over, we're getting around a lot more. So this is a good thing. I want to thank you for coming here. It's great to have you and great to see you again. Thank you. And see you live, you know. Thank you. Feels feels uh, like coming home. Oh, that's good. Well, your mama used to live just down in Montgomery. I know. That's right. I used to see her over here at the studio. That's right. So thank you very much. And thank you for being with us tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, we can bring Deacon Harold not only here to preach this morning and to be on this show, but also the series that he's done over the years and all the other guests that we have because this network is brought to you by you. So please keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. And we'll be able to pay our bills too. Thank you and God bless.